turn, uh, if you have a Bible, let's look together in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy. During our uh, Gospel Foundations uh, study that we've done for the past year, we've traced really the, the history of redemption, how God has worked out His plan to bring salvation to fallen mankind. And we saw how He... Uh, worked that through uh, a man named Abram and gave him the Abrahamic covenant. We saw how he worked through the nation of Israel. We saw the Davidic covenant that God made. We, we came and saw Jesus and how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament promises and prophecies and Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. And then uh, we saw in the book of Acts, we saw the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church. And then we begin to see the gospel, the good news about God's salvation begin to spread. Start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, eventually spread to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that is, you know, the, the basis and the foundation of the gospel message and how it spread and how God worked through all of those different times and all those different people to bring about his promise of redemption. But now we're going to come to a different subject. Once that gospel began to spread, once people began to be saved and born again, they began to enter into this new community of faith. They began to form what we talked about, I think, last year. Where they began to form ecclesia. They began to form an assembly of people. They began to gather together and pray together. They began to hear the apostles' teaching. They began to study, go back and study the Old Testament, especially the Gentiles. Uh, the, the, the Gentile believers, they, they were probably not well-versed in what we would call the Old Testament or the, the Hebrew Bible. Uh, but yet, when they experienced Jesus, and Jesus gave meaning to these Gentiles from these Old Testament stories, and they began to go back and they began to study even the Jewish Scriptures so that they could see Jesus in them. And so we had Jew, Jewish people being born again. We had Gentile people being born again. Now they're worshiping the same God. They've been given the same Holy Spirit. Now they're trying to uh, live life together in the form of a community of faith that we call the church. And even down through thousands of years, we are still doing life together in this, this assembly, this body that we call the church. Well, when we come to the epistles, that's what we are focusing on. We're not focusing so much on the spread of the gospel, but we're focusing on how the gospel works within communities of faith, among people who have come out of diverse backgrounds, but yet had this same shared experience of Jesus and, and being born again. And so local churches began to form. Churches back in the, the first century, the early churches looked very different than they do today. Number one, they wouldn't have had a building that they called a church. They would meet uh, in homes mostly, and they would um, meet uh, still even in Jerusalem. They would meet in the temple courts and pray and, and fellowship together. But mostly they would meet in their homes, and they would fellowship together. They would pray together. They would seek the Lord together. They would worship Him together. They would, they would read letters that were being passed around the areas that are called epistles that we're going to be studying today. So when we come to what we're going to be studying from now uh, up until at least the end of next May in the summers, we're going to take a look at all of the letters of the New Testament. 
And uh, today what we're going to do, we're going to give an introduction today. Um, I teach a class over the years I've prepared. It's usually six sessions, and it's on biblical interpretation, how to properly interpret the scriptures. So what I, what I thought we would do today is we would kind of look at two of those lessons that, um, that we give during that subject, and that is the papers that we have here today. And so the first, we're going to look at the, on the page that's called Biblical Interpretation and Introduction. That, that's where we're going to start on our paper today. But I want to read from 2 Timothy, and I want to read in chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, I'm reading from the NIV, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Who correctly handles the the word of truth. If you'll go with me to the next chapter in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, Paul writes to Timothy and he says here, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed or is inspired by God and is useful for teaching. Teaching is what is right, the truth. For rebuking, that is what is not right, for correcting, that's how to get right, and instruction or training in righteousness, and that's how to stay right, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God. So we're going to look for this session today, and then at the end of this, we'll talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing next week. Uh, but I want to talk about the importance of interpreting the Bible. And I've probably shared this with you before. I was preaching on a, I think it was a Wednesday night, might have been a Sunday night. It was, it was that night, several years ago. And I had a young man come up to me and he made this statement to me. He said, you know, I've heard all my life that I need to read the Bible, but yet when I sit down to read it, I have no idea what I'm reading. <laughs> And I've, I came to find out then that we as preachers and teachers were telling people to read the Bible, get into the Word, and we were telling them what to do, but we were not equipping them on how to do that. So people open up the book, and you know this, this is a pretty intimidating book for someone that's never opened it. And usually they start at the beginning, because that's what you do with a book, right? You know, you start on page one, and then you work your way through. Genesis is not usually too bad. You know, Genesis flows like a nice story. Uh, the first part of Exodus, as we saw, flows like a nice story. You get halfway through Exodus and things start to change a little bit. Things start to get a little more confusing. And then you get into Leviticus and Numbers, and Numbers comes back to a little bit better. But if you can make it through that, then, then you get some more history, and then you, then you start reading Psalms and Proverbs and that's different from what you've been reading, but yet you can follow along with that. And then you go into Isaiah and Daniel, and then things really start to go off the rails. So I began to see it's important that we read our Bibles, but it's more important and mostly important that we know how to read our Bibles and to understand how to read that. And thankful we live in a time where resources and helps 
to help us read and study and understand is just at our fingertips, literally. So I began to really focus after that conversation, I began to really focus on helping people to understand what they are reading. Because the Bible is very differently. As, and as 2 Timothy chapter 2 said, we have to learn how to correctly handle or to properly interpret the word of truth. So let's look on our, our guide here and our paper here. Let me start out with a theological word because those are always fun. Number one on biblical interpretation and introduction, the art of interpreting Scripture. That's what it's defined as. The art of interpreting Scripture is a big theological word called hermeneutics. And I don't know who Herman is, but he was probably very important in interpreting the Bible. But hermeneutics. And hermeneutics simply means how one goes about to try to interpret the Scriptures. And it's not just biblical scholars who should be Bible interpreters. We are all Bible interpreters. When you sit down to read and you say, okay, I read this passage of Scripture, now what does this mean? Whether you know it or not, you are doing hermeneutics. You are, you are interpreting Scripture. Every one of us do that when we sit down to read and try to understand and discern what we read. But the key is we want to be good interpreters of Scripture. Because we've seen throughout the years, Scripture can be twisted, it can be misinterpreted, it can be misapplied, it can be used to, to deceive, it can be used in many different ways. So the, the way you can spot something that is counterfeit is to know what is true. So that's what we want to do in interpreting the Bible. So the art of interpretation is called hermeneutics. The Scriptures, number two, must be rightly divided. We must rightly divide the word of truth, not wrongly connected, rightly divided. And the thing I love about the Bible, and this is what I, I like to show people, the Bible, I remember in, in one of our minister meetings at Craigmont years ago, we had a man by the name of Elmer Towns, and, and he was talking about, his subject was church growth. It wasn't Bible. But he said, a bird has to have two wings to fly. And he was talking about how we have to have a spiritual side in our churches, and we have to have a practical side in our churches. And when I began to put together material on interpreting Scripture, I began to see Scripture that way. It takes two wings to, to fly. When we look at Jesus, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% what? Man, he was 100% human. So he was divine, yet he was very human. And I've found the Scripture is that way as well. The Scripture is divine. It is God's Word for us for all time, for, for all people. But yet God chose to communicate his word to us through people and through places and through circumstances. So we'll be talking a lot about Paul for the next several months. Uh, you can see in Paul's writings, you can see his personality come through. You can tell in Paul's writings when he's angry. You can tell in Paul's writings when he's sorrowful. So God communicated his word to us, but he used human agents. And he didn't take away their humanity, but he used their humanity. Uh, and the scripture was written in, in a certain time in history. And that time in history is reflected because this book is a, it, it, I mean, it's a very ancient book. Uh, it's, it's, it's way far in the distance from our human experiences and where we live today. And to know something of that is to be very important. But so to recognize the divine, it's God's word for all people to all time, but yet there's a very human side to the scripture as well. And that creates this tension between 
eternal relevance, God's word for us for all times, and the historical particulars that demand that we interpret the Bible. I mean, just because we have an Old Testament and a New Testament, and we've talked about the differences of those uh, recently, but because we have an Old Testament and a New Testament demands that we interpret uh, one by the other so that we get a proper interpretation. So I believe number five is a key. Uh, very important. This is something for all of us to think about. But the Bible was not originally written to us. If you've noticed, the Bible was already completed, wrapped up, bounded, you know, in, in genuine imitation leather when it was given to you. So it was already written before we got here. It was not originally written to us. It had an intended original audience that it was written to that had meaning for them. That's the human side of the scripture. But the Bible was written for us. And as we saw in 2 Timothy 3, it is profitable to us for instruction, for, for uh, doctrine and, and correction and, and reproof and, and instruction in righteousness. So let me just give you a couple of examples. Okay, the Bible is God's word to us. And I mean, simply we're, you know, taught in church a lot of times it's God's word. If it says it, you do it. Well, the Bible strictly commands us to greet one another with a holy kiss. How many of you kissed each other when you came in here today? So I could say we're going to have fellowship time. Everybody stand up and kiss everybody uh, in here today. And that would be a little unusual. Uh, so, but yet that's in the Bible and it's plainly written right there in a chapter and in a verse, greet one another with a holy kiss. But we recognize that was more a part of their culture today as it is not in our culture today. Is there anything wrong with giving a holy kiss? Absolutely not. Uh, you know, is that something we commonly do in 2019 in our churches? Probably not. We might give a hearty handshake or a side hug or something like that. But, uh, anyway, you see how there's a historical, cultural part there. Let me give you another example. And it's here in 2 Timothy. It says in 2 Timothy 4.13, Paul says this. He says, when you come, bring, the, bring my cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Bring the scrolls and especially the parchments. Now that is a biblical command. Here's the only problem. We probably can't go to Troas today and find a guy named Carpus and get Paul's cloak and his books and the parchments and take them to Paul. That, that would be impossible to follow that scripture. But you see how that word was communicated in a historical particular to the person that Paul was writing. So that's some lighthearted examples of that. But there are other more difficult examples of that as well in the scripture. So that's where rightly dividing the scripture uh, is very important to us. Uh, so number six, the aim of good interpretation is to get the plain meaning of the text. What does the text mean? A good interpretation of scripture is based on common sense guidelines that we call hermeneutical principles. Or another theological word is exegesis. There are two major contrasts of biblical interpretation. Number one, this biblical word called, or this theological word called exegesis. That's just a word that means to draw out of the scriptures, the word ek means out, out of, to draw out of the scriptures what it says. So that's what we want to do. We want to draw out of the scriptures what it says. Then the opposite side of that is something called 
eisegesis. So let me, let me show you that you're really smart. If exegesis means I'm drawing out of the Scripture something that's there, eisegesis would mean I'm reading into the Scripture maybe something that's not there. Or in first, or, in, or uh, putting an interpretation there that maybe doesn't fit. Uh, so we want to draw out of the Scriptures what it says. And the key to good exegesis and rightly interpreting the Bible is to ask the right questions. To ask the right questions. And here's where you start with the right questions. You start with the context of it. That's where a good study Bible, most of us probably have a good study Bible. Uh, you know, I hope before you, you know, sit down and read a book or when we're going over this, the, you know, the books that we have will, will help with that. And it will take you through what is the context of the book. Uh, and that's basically your who, what, when, where, and why. That's the context. Who is the author who wrote it? Who are the recipients? Who was it originally written to? What are the historical particulars surrounding that text? What was the historical setting that they were writing in? You know, and again, back to the recipients, you know, was he writing to Jews? Was he writing to Gentiles? Was he writing to the church? And that goes for the, the whole of the, the scripture. What is the occasion of the writing? What prompted the writing? You know, if you send a letter to somebody or, you know, send an email to somebody, something prompted you to send that. What, what prompted Paul to write this letter to the book of Romans that we'll look at next week? And then what is the message the original author intended to the original audience? So the first thing that we want to, uh, how to properly interpret is our context. And then the audience relevance, again, who is it speaking to? Uh, the covenant understanding, I put this in here, is it old are we reading the Old Testament or are we reading the New Testament? And again, if it's in the Old Testament, who is it speaking to? You know, and that's very important. Uh, letter D, the genres of literature. There are different types of scripture. As we said, there is narrative. Genesis is a narrative book. It reads like a story. Then there is law. Law would be the, all of the laws in Exodus and Leviticus and all of those laws that were given. Then there's the history which oftentimes will go along with narrative. History is told through narrative. Uh, poetry or Hebrew wisdom, proverb. There's prophetic writings. There's what we call apocalyptic or what we would refer to as end of the world type of language. That's a certain type of literature back in those days. Uh, parabolic and epistles, which are letters, which is what we're going to be focusing on. So it's good to know when I read Genesis, what am I reading? When I read Isaiah, what am I reading? When I read the Gospels, what am I reading? When I read Timothy, what am I reading? What type of literature am I reading? Because that's where a lot of people, they think the Bible, we just start at the beginning and read it like a story, but we have to recognize God communicated his word in different kinds of literature. Letter E, uh, is this literal or figurative? You know, is there a literal 10 beasts with 12 heads coming up out of the sea, or could that uh, be a symbol for something when Jesus, you know, curses the fig tree. What's the meaning behind uh, what he's doing there? Is it literal or figurative? And then the original languages, you know, words change over time. Uh, and then, gee, I put another big word, intertextuality. If you remember last week, if you were here with Revelation, I talked about how uh, Revelation is the book in the New Testament that quotes or alludes to the Old Testament more than any other book. So intertextuality is how the texts interact with each other, how, how Jeremiah is quoted in Matthew, how Isaiah is quoted in Luke, and how the scriptures bounce off of one 
of another. So our proper order of interpretation, first of all, what we want to do, and this is what we're going to guide us through in these, we want to figure out what does it originally mean to the original audience. That's what we, so when we first read a book, when we read Romans, we want to put ourselves in first century Rome, reading this letter, saying, what, 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 does, what is Paul trying to communicate to me? So we put ourselves in that setting. Then secondly, we bring ourselves back to where we are today in 2019 in the United States of America. And then we say, how does the text relate to me today? Because we know that it does. Because it's God's word and it is for all people for all time. So how does it relate to me? Then we want to talk about what principles can I draw out of the text? Okay, I might not want to go around and give everybody a holy kiss. Okay, I might not want to do that. Uh, But I might want to show fellowship. So, you know, I may want to greet one another and shake hands. So I'm taking the spiritual principle. Another one of those is uh, in 1 Corinthians where it talks about uh, the women should wear head coverings in the church. Uh, most of us don't, most women here not, are not wearing a head covering when we read the scriptures or pray. Well, that was customary in those days, but we don't do it today. So why don't we do it today? Uh, I did have a friend, and at his church, the women did wear head coverings. And one day, they forgot their head coverings. And you know what the men made them do? Go into the restroom and get a paper towel and put it over their head because they had to follow 1 Corinthians. (laughs) So, again, but even though we don't wear head coverings in our culture when we pray or prophesy, there is a spiritual principle behind that verse that we can pull out today. Uh, and apply to our lives. So what principles, even though there may be some things that are culturally different, what is the spiritual principle that God is really trying to get us to understand that I can draw from the text? And then letter D, how can I apply these to my life? Because that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is how I can read the scripture, draw from it, and apply it to my life so that my life is changed by the word of God and that I live a life that reflects the word that I'm reading. That's the ultimate goal. It's not just to read and not to just understand. A lot of people in the scholarly world, it's all about just kind of the the first one. You know, what's the the original words mean? What's all this mean? But yet, it's got to go from the head to the heart. We got to get it in our heads, but then we have to get it in our hearts so that our life is changed by the living word of God to us. So that's a little bit of our interpretation that we have of a biblical overview. Now let's go to the back of that page and let's talk about the epistles. All right, and as we come to the second part of our study this morning, we want to look at the New Testament genre of the epistles. Out of the 27 books of the New Testament, 21 are epistles. So we would have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are narrative The book of Acts is historical, and the book of Revelation, even though it is an epistle, is also prophetic writing, and it also has apocalyptic writing in it. So out of those 27 books of the New Testament, 21 are purely epistles, purely letters. Uh, In the Greek, the word for epistle means a letter or a message. So an epistle is a letter or some type of written communication, written correspondence that is made between a person and another person or a person and a church. So Paul would write to the church at Ephesus 
or he would write to Timothy, his son in the faith. Uh, the epistles can be divided up between what we call Pauline epistles, which are epistles written by the Apostle Paul, and general epistles. And general epistles would be the book of James, uh, First and Second Peter, First, Second, and Third John. So Pauline epistles are the majority of the letters, but then you also have these general epistles toward the end of the New uh, Testament. So just like we have guidelines for studying the Bible as a whole, as we mentioned in the last part of our study, there's also specific guidelines for studying the epistles. So it's important to know that the first thing that we want to see is when you come to an epistle, you are literally reading somebody else's mail. You know, you are reading the letter Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus or to the saints who are at Rome or to... Timothy. So you are literally reading somebody else's mail. But however, because we're reading somebody else's mail, we need to take that into account when we interpret it. But also we understand there's two wings to fly. So just because it's written to a person and we're reading their mail, the early church recognized there was something special about these letters. These letters begin to circulate and they begin to be passed around the churches because they contained words about God, words that the early church considered authoritative, words that the early church felt was beneficial for the teaching about God to their other churches. So we're reading somebody else's mail. We have to take that into account when we interpret the scripture, but also we have to find out what it means for us today. Uh, just like a letters we have today, uh, Form letters that we have today uh, have a certain type of uh, form. We have the date, we have you know, to whom it may concern, we have the body of the letters, sincerely, Michael. Well, just as we have a format to the formal letters that we write today, uh, epistles also have a format as well. Now, not every New Testament epistle follows these guidelines, but the majority of them do. We looked in 2 Timothy earlier, and I want to go back to 2 Timothy to show us this. If you notice on your paper, just like modern letters, New Testament letters follow a format. While our letters usually start with a date, a salutation, the body, and a close, the New Testament typically, typically follows this format. First of all, there's the name of the writer. If you look in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, I'm looking down here now, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God. So there we see the name of the writer. That usually comes first. Next is the name of the recipients. So I'm looking at verse number uh, 2 of 2 Timothy 1. To Timothy, my dear son. So there we see the name of the recipient. Then there's usually a personal greeting. I'm also looking at verse number 2. He says, Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's the personal greeting. Then there is a personal prayer or a well-wishing or an expression of thanks. Notice in 2 Timothy 1.3. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. So then it starts your personal wish or expression of thanks. And then we have the body of the letter, and this is what the majority of the letter is made of. Then uh, if it follows this format, we would have final greetings and a farewell. So let's just go to the end of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
And let's see if it has final greetings and a farewell. Well, if you look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of one Sipphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth. And he begins to list these people that, that he personally knows and has a personal relationship with. So there's the final greetings. Now, what about the farewell? In verse number 22 of 2 Timothy 4, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. So there we see that 2 Timothy is a classic example of a New Testament epistle following the format of ancient letters in their day. So the format is nothing new. So when we read the epistles, you know, even though we refer, to, we refer to it as you know, the book of 2 Timothy, it's not really a book, it's a letter. Just like we have a, a format for our formal letters, there were a format of the formal letters here today. And just as we have letters today that we read, and they have letters there that we read, or that they read then, we are to read the entire epistle as a whole. That is how they are meant to be read. Now there's you know, a couple of epistles that are pretty good in length. You know, Hebrews has you know, 12 or 13 chapters, you know, 12 or 13 chapters in the book of Romans, but they're not extremely long. I mean, it's not like 100 chapters for, you know, for like the book of Psalms, 150 chapters. So even though some are lengthy, most are short. And just like a letter that you would send to somebody and they would take it and read it, or somebody would send you a letter and you would take it and read it, as a whole, you would start at the beginning and read it all the way through. Very rarely have you taken a letter that somebody wrote and just went somewhere in the middle and say, okay, I think I'll start here. And just pick up right in the middle of their thought and say, okay, well, I'll just take this one sentence here and focus on this. No, that, that doesn't make sense in the context of reading letters. Letters are meant to be read as a whole from beginning to end. That's why when somebody comes to me and they say, Pastor Michael, can you explain this verse right here? A lot of times I'll look at that verse and I'll say, hold on, before I explain that verse, let me go back and read the context around that verse. Because you can take out a verse, you can take out a sentence, and you can just read it apart from its context and really make it say anything that you want to. And it doesn't make sense to take a letter and just go to the middle of the letter and say, I think I'll just start here and read some, some sentences. No, it's to be read as a whole. So I encourage you, you know, as you read some of these letters, to make some time, if you have time, seriously make some time to start at the beginning of a letter and read it all the way, all the way through and try to put yourself in the place of a Timothy or a Titus who is reading this letter from Paul to understand what it is saying. So number three, read the entire epistle as a whole. That way we can interpret the individual parts in light of the whole. Can you explain this verse? Well, hold on, let me read around it. And I can't separate that verse from the whole context of the book. Number four, interpret epistles in the light of their historical context. I feel like we're repeating that over and over again, but I believe it's very beneficial for us to get, get it in our minds. There is a historical context in which these words, these thoughts, and these ideas were shared. And I think it's very, very important uh, to do that. Then we come to number five. The epistles were not written to be a systematic theology textbook, although we find much rich theology in them. 
as any good preacher, I love books. And I have a library, and I have tons of books in those library, in the library. And I have books that are that thick on theology. But you know what? None of them were written by the Apostle Paul. None of them. Now, I have the Bible with letters written by Paul, but I'm not counting the Bible right now. I'm talking about my theology books. I don't have any theology books, any systematic theology, theologies for dummies. Here's all you need to know about God that was written by the Apostle Paul. Because his main, uh, what he was trying to convey wasn't, okay, I'm going to sit down and write a textbook about God. Or I'm going to write a textbook about doctrine. Even though he writes about God and he teaches doctrine, he does so within the confines of the letters. That's why, you know, 2 Timothy has four chapters. It is a tiny, tiny book. Uh, 2 Timothy takes up two and a half pages in my Bible. So two and a half pages that Paul wrote, but yet I've got commentaries that are that thick on the book of 2 Timothy. Because it expounds on all the theology that he talks about. So while Paul did not set out to write a systematic theology book, he does in the life of the church, in the life of the individuals, he teaches theology within the context of life. So the New Testament epistles contain theology that can be applied to the life of the church. That the theology of the church must work within the context of the life of the body. And that's where we do theology. Not just know theology, but practically do theology. So while Paul didn't write a systematic theology textbook, he does write theology in the midst of the life of a church. Then we see number six, all of the epistles are occasional documents. And we're going to use that word a lot as we go throughout each individual one of these studies, occasional. What is the purpose? What did that book stem from? Uh, the occasional documents means arising out of and intended for a specific occasion. Okay, so we can take the book of Galatians, or the letter to the church at Galatia, and their issue was Paul had heard that there were those coming into the church who were teaching that unless you are circumcised, unless you keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Yes, you can have Jesus, but you also, or these Gentiles, must also keep the law of Moses. And Paul had heard that. And this letter, he responded to that by writing a letter. And so the occasion of the letter was Paul was responding to these outside Judaizers coming in and corrupting the gospel in the church. Now, contrast that with uh, a 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, the issue was not with Judaizers outside the church coming in and trying to bring their false teaching, but it was those who were already inside the church that was going from house to house and going to the women and going to the widows, trying to lead them astray. So Paul writes to Timothy about the issues that is going on in Timothy's church. That was the occasion. So when we find in Timothy where Paul writes about bishops, and he writes about pastors, and he writes about the qualifications of deacons, Paul, again, wasn't saying, I think I'll just write about what deacons are supposed to do. No, because there were some people that were serving in the church that were not acting like they should. And they weren't living out those qualities. So Paul is writing theology in the midst of that life of the church for the occasion of those inside the church who were causing division and causing problems. So that's just two examples of how letters are occasional. 
uh, the book of Romans, there was an occasion that caused Paul to write to Rome. Paul had a deep desire to go to Rome. And one of Paul's friends, Phoebe, she was making a trip to Rome. So Paul writes the, the letter to the saints in Rome because he wants to come and see them and because Phoebe is going. And, and more than likely, she carried the letter to uh, the, the saints there in Rome. So we have to look for the occasion. Now, sometimes the occasion is not clearly stated. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. So where the occasion is not clearly stated, you know what we must do? We must, number seven, reconstruct the occasion by looking at the internal evidence in the book. So we can look at Paul's arguments in the uh, book of Galatians. We can look at what Paul writes to Timothy. And we can kind of discern and put back together why he wrote these uh, well, what the occasion was that he wrote. So again, we do this by looking at, and a lot of this is familiar from what we talked about a few minutes ago, who is writing the letter? Who is the audience of the letter? What could have prompted the writing of the letter? Again, is it the Judaizers coming in? Is it the people inside the church? What situation does the author face when he's writing the letter? You know, is, is it a prison epistle? that Paul writes? What situation is he in? What problems does the author address in the letter? Uh, take a letter like 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul is addressing issue after issue after issue after issue. So we know that we can figure out the occasion of that letter because of everything he addresses, and there's a wide variety. Does the writer state his purpose, and what are the major themes, concepts, and words in the letter. So, you know, the, the book of Romans is a book, and if you were to look at the themes of the book of Romans, it's the righteousness of God. How the righteousness of God is revealed to Jew and Gentile alike and bringing them into the people of God. So, you look at the righteousness as a theme. So, you look at the key words that are used over and over again. And then we can kind of reconstruct the occasion, and then we know in what context this was written. So when we come to the epistles, you know, we, we have a, a tough job to do. And a lot of people see the epistles as, well, those are the easy books of the Bible. You know, they're short, they're kind of straightforward, they have a lot of application. But yet when you get into the details of those books and trying to interpret them and take the theology and, and the purpose of them and the principles and, and rightly divide and interpret them, we see that, yeah, it's, it's a little bit more difficult than it appears to be on the surface. So the epistles were given for a specific occasion. They are in historical particulars in history, communicated through historical particulars in history, but yet they are inspired words by the Holy Spirit. And yet they offer eternal truth. Therefore, we must dig out of the scriptures what it meant to them, and we must bring that into our day. And how do, in, in our similar situations, how God's word to them is God's word to us. And how through this truth, we find authoritative instruction for living. We find authoritative instruction for the life of the church. And we find it in every age. So as we go through these letters, we're going to have a God by God. And I want to I end today's lesson by looking at our 
guidebook. And the book we're using for the guide of the epistles is How to Read the Bible Book by Book. And this is the New Testament version of that. And if you go, we're going to start next week in the book of Romans. So if you have your book, look on page 54. Let's look on page 54. And there are three major sections of introduction. And then there is what they call um, a walk through Romans. So if you notice the first section, and we're going to look at this next week, for Romans, it has orienting data for Romans. And this is the who, what, when, where, and why. The context, the author, the date, the recipients, the occasion, and the emphasis. So that's the first section of introductory, the orienting data. Next, we have the overview of Romans. And this will give us the overall theme of the book. Um, it will tell us the major uh, topics that are covered in the book. It'll give us a breakdown of the book, like the book of Romans is divided into four different sections. Uh, and uh, the overview of Romans will tell us that. And that's what we want to grasp in this class. It's not about answering every detail of every scripture, but it's that you can leave here knowing what the overall message of the book of Romans is. Knowing what Paul's argument against the Judaizers in the book of Galatians is about. And uh, because a lot of people, they, they might can quote a few verses from Romans or they can quote a few verses from Ephesians, but do they know what it is from beginning to end? So if, so if you can leave this class and you, can, and you can go out and you can tell people who wrote it, why they wrote it, what's the major themes in it, and the overall uh, overview of the book, then we have done what we have set out to do. And then the third area of introduction we have the orienting data, we have the overview, and we have the specific advice. And this is where the author of this book uh, just kind of gives some, uh, just, just some, some tips on certain reading, uh, some, some certain ways that the author, the writer of the letter is communicating in different forms and in different ways, just to give you some things to look out for. So next week when we come back together, usually we'll spend a whole week just on the introduction and then the next week go into uh, uh, the, the section by section. But because we did a lengthy introduction to the whole topic here today, next week we're going to cover the orienting data for Romans, the overview of Romans, the advice for reading, and we'll look at the first four chapters of the book of Romans, which is the first major division in the book of Romans. So we want to be good interpreters of the Bible. So we want to take these letters seriously so that we can understand what it meant to them and what it means to us. And most importantly, how we can apply it to our lives and that our lives would be changed. So I'm excited. I hope you're excited. We're going to learn a lot together and hopefully the Bible will come alive uh, like never before. Well, let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer as we close this morning.